Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we will begin in verse uh, 19 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this is, as it shows on the slide, this is uh, uh, number 23 in our series on Hebrews. Sermon number 23. And for more than half of those, we have been talking about the high priest. We've been talking about Jesus as our great high priest. We've been talking about the tabernacle. I've been um, uh, kind of teased by a couple of friends that were saying, I think I've never heard the word tabernacle more in my life than in the, the, couple of, the last couple of sermons here at Redeemer. And so, um, uh, so we've learned about Jesus as the high priest who's gone into the heavenly tabernacle to offer sacrifice. We went through like 12 weeks of this. And now the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, because this is a preacher, he's giving a sermon. He's now... Uh, kind of turning the corner here a little bit. He's ending his exposition, his teaching about who Jesus is, and now he's really starting to apply it to this congregation, to this group of believers in what they were going through. And so the next several weeks, this gets very practical, very um, very down to earth. And he really he really starts to, to get to the nitty gritty, and he's, he's kind of it somewhat times gets really preachy. So uh, I will try to imitate that preachiness of what he's doing here. And so, um, so as I said, he's outlined the great truths of who Jesus is as our high priest. And uh, today's passage, he couldn't resist kind of re- revisiting those a little bit. And so he does an affirmation of those truths. And so what I would like to do is to read the entire passage. We'll pray. And then uh, we will we'll get into we'll get into uh, uh, unpacking here what it is he's saying. This is just uh, these seven verses, verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father God, this is your word. This is a sermon written to uh, your people long ago, but this is also a sermon written to us. God, speak to us through this passage. May Redeemer be different because of what we're reading today. Because your word has power to do that. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. So in, uh, after having outlined the great truths of who Jesus is as a high priest, which began in the very end of chapter 4, verses uh, 
14 through 16, all the way through chapter 10, verse 18. He now is turning the corner and is applying that, but he begins by uh, giving an affirmation, a reaffirmation of those truths in verses 19 through 21. It's almost like he couldn't resist. He said, okay, therefore, since we have confidence... To enter into the holy places. So the tabernacle, the temple that only the high priest would go into and only once a year into the very presence of God. The writer is saying we now because of our high priest, we all can actually go in. We can go right and directly into God's presence. We don't need an intermediary. And it's interesting how this access is opened up. It's by the blood of Jesus, which he talked about in chapter nine. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Now, we remember the pictures of the tabernacle. There were curtains into the different rooms going in. There was a curtain that separated uh, the, the rest of the priest's work in the courtyard from the holy place. But there was another curtain and it actually had a different name that separated the holy place from the most holy place, which is where the ark was and which is where God's presence is. This term that he uses, the term that's for that second curtain only. It's the curtain that separates from the holiest place to the most holy place. And he's saying that that curtain has been opened up for us. And uh, that curtain, as he's saying, is his flesh. Jesus' flesh being opened up is opening up the way for us to come into the holy of holies. This same word for curtain is the same word that's used for the curtain in the temple on the day that Jesus was crucified and he was giving up his spirit. And you remember what this says in Matthew and the curtain in the temple was torn into top to bottom. Now, can you imagine what the high priests and all the other priests were doing at this moment? Because they were like, well, how do we get this thing back up? Because this is supposed to separate us from God. What an amazing picture that is of what happened that day that Jesus died. So he opened up that curtain through his flesh. And since, so here's the second reason. And since we have a great price, high priest over the house of God, he now jumps into the application of those truths. And he gives three commands. And we'll look at each one of those commands this morning. And the commands are actually, um, uh, they're like more like appeals or exhortations. He's saying, this is something, let us do this. There's a certain mood that he uses in the Greek language that says, no, let us. This is an obligation now for us to do. And he gives three of them. The first one is worship. Worship. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near. This is the word that conveys the idea of worship. And he gives four reasons why. He says, well, one, we need with a true heart means with sincerity. Last week, I talked about how we don't have a true heart. So, you know, how can it be that you're now saying, well, actually, we need to approach with the true heart? Well, that's connected to the second one. And that's with full assurance of faith. We have a true heart when we turn to God in faith and believe in him. So we have a sincerity. There's a confidence and assurance that that we have now when we go in to worship before God. The third uh, reason or how that we are to approach 
is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So we come in not only with sincerity, not only with faith, but we come in with clean consciences, knowing that we have, our conscience has been cleansed by what Christ has done. And then also our bodies washed with, with pure water. So all, so in, basically in light of all that God has done for us in Christ as our high priest, our first, the first and logical thing that we are to do is to worship. To worship. We were created to worship God. Unfortunately, we tend to worship things that are not God. But what the preacher is saying here is we were made to worship and our first obligation with Jesus as our high priest is to draw near. It doesn't express here exactly what it is, but we know from the other context in a couple of other places, this is drawing near to God because the curtain's been opened. So here's, uh, now, when we say our first task and primary task is worship, now, sometimes that means different things for different people. I would like to offer this definition of what worship is. And you could write this down in your notes. This is from, um, from a, a theology professor named Wayne Grudem. He says, he defines worship as, worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence, in his presence, with our voices and our hearts. The activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. And then he goes on to uh, outline a couple of results that come from that. Well, one is we draw near to God. That's, that's you know, the result of worship is that we draw near to God. But then he says that God draws near to us in worship. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, uh, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. So when we come together and we gather together to worship, to glorify God in his presence with our, with our voices and our hearts, uh, not only are we drawing near to God, he, the God creator of the universe, is drawing near to us. And then we delight in God. I list for you a whole bunch of, uh, of psalms they're about delighting in, in God. And I'll, I'll read just a couple of them here. And one of them is some, some of the words that we sang this morning. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The Psalms are filled with these words of delighting in God when we come together in worship. And this was, seems to be the first response of the disciples as well, too. At the very end of Luke chapter, uh, very end of Luke in chapter 24, when the, um, they found the tomb empty, they went back worshiping God, returning to Jerusalem with, with great joy. And Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, in the little snapshot of what the church looked like, 
verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then Revelation ends with many different pictures about God, about the people gathering around the 24 elders and gathering around Christ and worshiping him and delighting in his presence. There's there's uh, many verses there you can look up as well, too. So not only do we delight in God, but God delights in us when we worship, too. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Have you ever thought about God singing and exalting over you when we gather together for, to worship him? So, God, we delight in God. God delights in us. God ministers to us in our worship as well, too. I've, well, no, we'll go and move on to number six. The Lord's enemies flee when we gather together for worship. There's a great story in Second Chronicles chapter 20 um, when King Jehoshaphat, sent out a choir ahead of the army. And it reads this. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy array as they went before the army. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, uh, set an ambush against the men of Ammon, uh, Moab, and Mount Seir who came out against Judah. And they were routed. So he, he actually goes out to fight by sending out the worship team first to go and sing praises to God. And God's enemies flee. We even see this in, I quoted James chapter 4 verse 8 when it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The very uh, verse before that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So in worship, our enemies flee. And in worship, unbelievers know that they are in God's presence. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, kind of references uh, when an unbeliever or an outsider enters in to a worship service and he sees the word of God being taught and he sees the worshiping of God's people. He says um, that this unbeliever or outsider, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed, which is what God's word does. And so falling on his face, we will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It says. So can you think of anything other than worship of God that would make you feel more deeply that you are doing the thing for which you are created? Can you think of anything else other than worship which you feel like this is what I was created to do. So this is the first implication, the first privilege, the first responsibility that we have in light of Jesus as our great high priest is let us draw near. First one is to worship. And so I would say this for us, Redeemer, let us be sincere and confident Worshippers of God through Christ and in the Spirit. 
And we worship all three. We worship a triune God. We worship God, we worship Christ, and we worship the Spirit. But, uh, but let us be sincere and confident worshipers of God through Christ because he has gone through into the tabernacle and in the Spirit. Does this sound good to you guys? If we were known as the place where we gather together to worship. That's the first one, worship. The second one, discipleship. And this comes from the phrase, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So that notice that word confession there. We've talked about this before. Um, the word is uh, homologia, H-O-M-O-L-O-G-I-A. It means a confession. The verb means to declare, to, to kind of make a promise. Um, and this is referring to the contents of our beliefs. The confession has a, a, a definite article there, the. Let us hold fast to the confession. And this, this same um, group of words is used in several places in connection with the gospel. Matthew chapter uh, 3, when Jesus goes out to get baptized, John the Baptist is out baptizing in the Jordan River, and they baptized him in the Jordan River, says all the people came, and they, uh, and they were baptized by John in the Jordan River, confessing, it's the same, it's a verb for this, confessing their sins. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, anyone who uh, acknowledges me, is what my translation reads, but it's the same word, Anyone who confesses me before man, the son of man, will also confess before the angels of God. So it's a, it's, it's a confession. It's a statement that these are the facts. And it's also used in connection with our response to the gospel as well. It's the word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 10 when he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For if one believes and is justified, and one confesses and is saved. And he mentions this confession a couple of places. Chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 14, and then uh, here in chapter 10. So these, these are the truths, this confession, these are the truths of how they are saved by believing. This is, after all, it's the confession of their hope. And at Redeemer, you, we have a confessional statement. We have 13 paragraphs. Uh, about a year ago, we went through a teaching series, kind of went through all of our confession statement, which is uh, we don't hold up to the same status as the, the level of the Bible. The Bible is our source of authority. But our confession is a distillation of what, that, what the Bible teaches. It's a, it's a distillation and a, a concise statement of what it is that we can gather around and say, this is, this is what we believe. This is who we identify ourselves as. And we'll actually be reviewing these again come the fall when we... Um, when we move toward membership and we have a membership covenant, we'll, we'll talk about these, uh, these again. But these, uh, these yeah, you could go to the website and you can find all of our belief statement as well, too. You can download the whole document and you can, you can see it. I would encourage you to, 
to familiarize yourself with it. Make sure you've read it and you know it. Many of you were here for this series, but many of you, many of you weren't. So for us to apply kind of what he's saying here to hold fast this confession, it would be to say, we are going to hold fast to the truths of what this says, because we believe this is the distillation of the message of the Bible. This is the, the gospel. And that these things don't wear out. They don't get outdated. The holiness and righteousness of God, the sinfulness and inability of man who chooses to worship his own gods instead of worshiping his creator. The humble arrival of the Son of God in the flesh, his humiliating sacrifice, his loving death, his glorious resurrection, his return to judge, the fact that the times of ignorance are over and that God is in calling all people everywhere to repent of everything and to come to him of not only their sin, but also their self-righteousness. The, the good deeds that they do in attempted pleasing after God are still uh, not good. None of these, none of those truths that we find in our confession is, goes out of style. This, this is a distillation of the message of the Bible, the message of God's announcement from his very mouth to us. This is the truth. These are the truths that save us to save all who hear it and call on the name of the Lord. That is what a confession is. And so what he's saying here is that we are to hold fast to it. So it's the word is to like hold down or to retain, to seize or to grab a hold of. If you think of uh, maybe police officers wrestling a suspect down to the ground, that kind of gives you a good picture. When it, uh, That's the literal use of it. More figurative use in this sense is um, to, to maintain a solid mental grasp of the facts of our beliefs. That's what it means to hold fast. And this is a theme that he, he, the preacher here uses throughout his sermon. A couple other places he uses this word. And um, now, a while back I was talking about uh, how we do things at, at Redeemer. And I say, you know what? Um, sometimes uh, we, we get the cultural, some cultural things mixed up with our doctrinal beliefs, the things that we need to hold fast. And I actually use this this illustration of hands holding something. So maybe some things that are not connected to the gospel, like we, we will be kind of hold those things loosely, right? So uh, some people hold them together. Like uh, we believe all of these truths, but we also believe um, we need to have pews or, you know, some traditional kind of things that sometimes get associated with them, but aren't essential. Does that make sense? Right. And so we said, you know, some of these things we will hold kind of lightly into our hands. Like um, we use electricity around here. <laughs> my, um, my wife's family's Amish, so I always make that joke. You know, like, uh, like they don't have. We, we worship, we use electricity when we worship. So that's one of the things we're like, you know what? There will be things that will change with the times and that we, we need to be okay with that. But we can't let go of these things. Now, some hold kind of lightly to some of the cultural things and then, ah, Hold kind of lightly to some of the doctrinal things as well, too. The virgin birth, eh, that can come or go. Jesus dying substitutionally for us, eh, well, 
Jesus actually coming bodily from the grave? Well, you know, there's, we need to just believe that a resurrection can happen. You know what I mean? So they're letting go of those things as well, too. We're not going to do this. We're going to hold fast. Hold fast our confession and what we believe. And that we need to do so without wavering, he says. Hold fast to your confession. Um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And he gives the reason why. Because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. So, Redeemer, let us be disciples of Christ who hold fast our to our confession. We're going to be, um, in light of the truth of who Jesus is as our great high priest, we are going to be a worshiping church. We are going to be a discipleship church. We're going to be learners of, of Christ and learners of the truth that he conveyed to us. And we are going to cling to it and hold fast to it. And then here's the third one. Fellowship. Fellowship. Verses, and this is found in verses 24 and verse 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider. Let us consider. Uh, one commentator I read said uh, this would be to direct the mind and to reflect on. So it's not just like... Um, uh, well, I'll think about it. You know, like, well, I'll get around to it if I think about it. No, this is to like to direct our minds and our attention and to reflect on. So he says, let us consider. That's, that's the command for us. But it's interesting to know what it is he's commanding us to reflect on. This is it. To stir up one another. I love this, this word here. To stir up one another. It's, uh, it's related to the word for anger and wrath, but it's also related to the word for sharp. So it's a sharp fit of anger or a sharp fit of wrath or a sharp contention or an angry dispute. Right? Okay, you with me? So, so what he's saying, he's using a word that's very uh, an inciting kind of word. One of my professors, uh, in giving a, a reflection on this one time, we were talking about this in class. He said the word here would be um, basically to incite into riot, to stir up an angry crowd. Now, if you can imagine somebody like, you know, it's the, you know, a bunch of no good people running around and they're trying to stir people up and they're all walking out into the streets with clubs and sticks and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it happens around here all the time, right? No, to think of, a, have you ever been in a place like a, where a riot has broken out and how chaotic it is? No? Um, uh, I, I was in Jericho in 1994 when they, on the day, we were in Jericho in 1994 in Israel, on the day that Israel handed over Jericho and a number of other places back into Palestinian control, and that was my first experience of being in a riot. I mean, the streets were filled. You could not see any piece of ground between any of the buildings. Because our bus literally was stopped and people were gathered all around it. 
Um, you may have been to a sporting event where there's a lot of people and it's very tight. This was like that, except up a notch. So if you think of inciting a riot, try to get that picture in your mind. This is a... Um, this word is also the word that's used when Paul and Barnabas get into a fight and they end up parting ways and don't speak to each other for years. They end up reconciling. But this is like a sharp dis dispute. Okay, but look, look at what he does with this word. Stir one another up to love and good works. To love and good works. So here's, here's my... Um, Here's my paraphrase, uh, the Aaron Standard Version, of, of what he's saying here. Let us direct our minds to how we can incite a riot of love and good works. I think that's cool. Do you guys don't, don't like my version? Okay. Um, let us direct our minds. He said, by the way, Jesus is our great highest priest. We need to draw near to God. Let's hold fast our confession. And by the way, let us incite a riot. Let us meditate on how we can incite a riot of love and good works in our community. I hope we keep saying that. I hope we, I'm going to put this on the website or on, the, on Facebook. Hey, are you inciting a riot? Hey, let's go. Let's incite a riot of love and good works. Can you imagine what that would look like? here but the spurring one another on into a, a riot of uh, good works and love means that we cannot abandon our meeting together he continues in verse 5 not neglecting in verse 25 not neglecting to meet together and this was apparently the sad state of what was going on in this community You've heard me regularly say, he's writing to encourage them, your, your temptation to abandon Christianity because things are getting hard and to abandon the truth of who Christ is and to go back either in back into Judaism or some other uh, uh, religious uh, background that you came from. Uh, the temptation was really great and some had succumbed to it. Because he says... Um, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. What a sad, sad line. But instead, he says, but encouraging one another. And the word here, encouraging, is to, to call, to invite, to uh, not only to admonish, but to persuade. So, in this whole context, uh, how are we encouraging and inviting and persuading those around us to gather together in our worship community. Who are we inviting? Who are we inviting? Who do you know this week who needs to hear an encouraging word from God through you? I could think of a couple. And I, in preparing this this last week, um, I've resolved to do that. Who do you know? Can you think of some people that you need to, maybe you just need to give them a call, maybe give them a hug, you maybe need to send them a card. So you need to, maybe we could find a ways in which we can encourage one another. Or you could go on for full on disturbing the peace 
and starting a riot of love and good deeds. So here, Redeemer, let us live as a fellowship with a reputation for inciting a riot of love and good deeds in Jesus' name. Let us live as a fellowship with a reputation for inciting a riot of love and good deeds in Jesus' name. I would love to hear, um, hey, people say, hey, that Redeemer place, man, they love, they love the stuffings out of people there. Or maybe they wouldn't say that. Maybe that's just me. But, uh, but they love people like crazy there. It's like a riot of love there. And why? Because Jesus, our great high priest, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by his blood, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through that curtain that is through his flesh. We have a great high priest over the house of God. And he closes this section with this uh, this last line, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day. They even capitalize it, right? The day, capital D. Well, in, in the, the early church, that, that meant something. The day was the day of Christ's return. This was the day of His coming back, coming to judge, and then coming to save. And so this is a reference to the truth that Jesus is coming back. And we'll actually get to that in a couple weeks. But God, God had this message through the preacher of Hebrews to them. And God is telling us the same thing. Until that time, until that day when Jesus does come back, this is how we are to be found when he does. This is how we are to live in the meantime. That we live that when he is, comes back, he will find us at worship. A worshiping community that is drawing near to God. With sincerity, with faith, assurance, confidence, clean consciences. Let us be found in discipleship. When he comes that day, when he, that day comes, let him find us holding fast to our confession and our hope, no matter what difficulties might come. And may we be found in fellowship with one another. Let us, when he comes back, may he know where we are because of the riot of love and good deeds that's happening in our community. When Jesus comes, I want nothing more for all of us than for him who was faithful, then for him who is faithful to find us faithfully in worship, in discipleship, and in fellowship. Don't you? Don't you? God make that so. Would you stand? Let's stand for closing prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you 
We do not have the words to express our gratitude to you and your goodness to us. God, we have confidence in your word speaking to us because you have proven yourself in history. You have acted in and through your people and you sent your son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he could redeem us and adopt us and bring us in to your family. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the words here in Hebrews reminding us and affirming the truth of who you are as the uh, as our great uh, Christ is as our great high priest but um, but also applying that to our lives that we are spurred on to worship that we have an obligation of discipleship to holding fast to your truth and that this, that we love live in fellowship with one another and encouraging one another thank you for these words God, we ask that you, by the Spirit that dwells in us, to, to use this, to apply this to our hearts and to our minds. Apply that to our community. And we ask you to do this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Now, may the grace of God... And the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that will incite us into a riot of love and good deeds be with all of you.